Okay, welcome to episode 208 of Ask Alex on the OneOuter.com podcast. Regular listeners will know that we've been away for quite a while. I can't actually remember the date of the last show, but it feels like it has been a few months at least. Um, A lot of you have been in touch asking when we'll be back. Questions are still coming in for Alex. And as we've discussed on previous shows, we said we would continue in a sort of ad hoc basis, translated as when I can be bothered to record something, (laughs) when we can get Alex, uh, who is a busy guy these days, and get it all together. So it has happened for you. And the good news is we are recording, this is show 104 that we're pre-recording, and we will release them out over the next few weeks. So if you're subscribed on iTunes or Stitcher or any of these other places, you will see them filter into your uh, feeds and there is four episodes coming up for you soon. So do keep your questions coming in, questions at oneouter.com, and we will get them on future shows. Alex, thanks for joining us, finding the time, etc. Great to be back chatting with you. How are things? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Happy to be here. Yeah, good, good. I, I joke with Alex before the show and like the last messages and uh, first, I'll take this time as well to thank everybody that bought items from Alex previously. We did a couple of promotions with uh, many of the products in Alex's Gumroad store, discounts that were exclusive to listeners of OneOuter.com podcast. And so many of you, as you always do, came out and bought things here and there and were still buying a little bit after it. There was, you know, things happening. And just big thank you um, from myself, because as we discussed, I get a cut of that. That helps keep the show going, etc. And you all know I'm money motivated. So I turn up when there's money to be made and stuff to sell. And it does seem like a true utopia. Um, Alex sells his stuff. I get a cut, which helps the show. The people get a discount and there's a podcast as well. I, I've, I'm struggling to see the loser or, or the downside to it. So um, it's, good, it's good news for everyone. And we do have offers again that we'll discuss later in the show. And um, there's going to be one on the first two episodes and then another one on the next two episodes. So keep your ears open for that and check the website and Facebook page for all the details of the promotions that we're going to be running as well for Alex's products. But Alex, seriously, thanks for finding the time with us. And you're going to go through all these questions for us um, over the next four shows that we're going to pre-record. I'm happy to be here. And thank you, everybody, for responding to the last sale so we could get Barry off his dead ass from watching box sets to be here. It's uh, I still watch the box sets, just not for the period. <laughs> just not during the show, you know? <laughs> you know, it was my favorite comeback episode when you literally started the show discussing your favorite box set. I almost lost it. I had to mute the mic. I was like, he's really going on about his favorite box set. This is amazing. <laughs> it was a good box set, by the, by the way. This is an in-joke from, like, way back in the day. But no, for you guys who didn't know, the, the One Outer podcast was uh, – we, it just wasn't happening. And then Barry and I said, oh, we'll do just a couple final episodes just for the hell of it, right? And we'll put some things on sale. And then you guys came out so much that we're back here. So essentially what we're going to do with this podcast going on, we're going to try to do more regular episodes, more uh, uh, shorter episodes, just because that works better in our schedules. And then what we'll do is at the end, we'll have a discount on uh, some of the some of the smaller stuff and you know just a couple sales like that keeps 
you know, it helps Barry for when he uh, he he has to uh, edit for five hours or he has to argue with uh, the website provider for two days to get the site turned back on. Many- that doesn't happen again. I mean, that <laughs> touch one, touch one, which, by the way, has happened. to Barry runs the worst with that. That's happened to him multiple times. You remember that time when the entire one outer website just got wiped out? You yeah. remember? I was I was in Hong Kong at the time as well, and I had to try and do it from there with dodgy Wi-Fi in the hotel I was staying in. Um, and I think, yeah, I was. I was in mainland China, so I couldn't even use my phone for free. When I'm in Hong Kong, I could just use my minutes as if I'm in the UK. But it doesn't extend to mainland China. So I was this oh it was yeah that was stressful you know dealing with different support through email and stuff but let's not let's not tempt fate with any of that that's not going to happen alex you know definitely not no no sir but um so the plan is is to get through some of these questions and there are questions that i've got saved in a file they are from months and months ago and a few people when i said we're doing the show again i always ask for questions and people have fired them in so there are some that we literally received this week. There are some from a few months ago. So hopefully listeners or whenever you do catch this show, you will hear it if it was you that sent it in. And if not, as always, everybody always benefits from all the questions and stuff coming in. Um, Alex, I think we're just going to kick right off with this one because this one's a nice bit of fun and a nice little bit of an extended intro as well. And our, our good friend Dennis Peterson gets in touch And he said, um, how about asking Alex about what it's like to receive these compliments? Now, this is a tweet that I saw and uh, on Twitter where it was shared and liked multiple times. And it came into my feed and it's from Rob Tinian. And it has 10 years in the making. I finally achieved the milestone every poker player dreams about. One million dollars in profit. Poker can be a very lonely game, and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Ape Styles at MSUSYR24, at Elliot Row One, at The Assassinato, and at Squee451. So, this guy is, I know the name, and he's made a million dollars profit. And he goes on to thank Alex about, you know, he was one of the guys that played a part in this. And Alex sort of in the feet, uh, in this the stream of comments was saying, you know, well done, great work ethic and stuff like that. And he was happy to help in a small way. And Rob Tinian's response was to Alex, you were the one that opened my eyes to the math of poker and helped me see the game in a light that has guided me ever since, for which I will be forever grateful. Now, as Dennis said as well, and don't let it get, you know, uh, don't rub his ego too much. Now, I've never rubbed Alex's ego on this show and never let him get away with that. <laughs> I'm always quick to belittle him. So we're not going to massage his ego any bigger, but that is fantastic comments. So, Alex, what is that like then to play a role in a guy that has just made a million dollars profit lifetime in poker? Oh, it feels amazing. And to be clear, what I said uh, to Rob Tinian I, I still stand by, which is his work ethic was monstrous. Every time him and I would talk or I'd be teaching a class he was in, 
he had the best questions. He did all the work on the back end. You gave him a concept and he would just work hard as hell to make sure he understood it and he could he would take it even further. And the thing I liked about what he said is it really fits into what I'm trying to do, which is there were some other players on that list who I I just can't even touch as far as how good they are. John Van Fleet, Ape Styles, for example, is probably the best tournament player I've ever seen when he's in action, Uh, especially online. He's just impossible to beat, just knows everything, is so well studied. So, to even be in the same sentence as that gentleman feels overwhelming. But I think Mr. Tinian and I would agree that what I did is give him perspective on what mathematics, simple mathematics, simple logic, simple combinatorics can do for you in low to mid six games. Low to mid six games, a mistake I made for years when I was teaching is I would teach the same way I would be learning. And the way I learn is just all the small details. It is everything I think about balance, everything I think about uh, range versus range, everything I think about every peculiar detail at a table. Because the truth is when you're playing professionally, all those little things add up to the big thing. And what really separates you uh, in high stakes tournaments or bigger tournaments is how well you can control for the details. So those become the most utmost importance. Those are of the most utmost importance when you're in those higher stakes games. But that kind of skips the fundamentals and the fundamentals are the basics for a reason. I always say this as a joke. Where do you think Floyd Mayweather is right now? Floyd Mayweather is somewhere throwing a jab. Where do you think Tom Cruise is right now? Tom Cruise is somewhere doing a push-up. You harness those fundamentals. You can go really far, uh, as we can see by Rob here, who is just a much better poker player now than I'll ever hope to be. He's Sometimes when I hear this kid talk, I'm just like, he. I'm not even in the same zip code anymore, right? But... A good start when you're playing low to mid stakes is getting the fundamentals and really harnessing the fundamentals, not because it's really fun to think like, okay, I got my read jam math now and I more or less know how to open the right ranges and see about the right hands. Now I want to get to the super fancy triple barrels and things like that. No, 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 no. Start with the C-bets. Really work on the C-bets. What is each C-bet supposed to do? What situations do those apply best in? How well do you know it? Make sure you have the math. What is the purpose of a three-bet? When is the best time to apply a three-bet? How about a check-raise? If you continue the thread, you'll see Rob and I ended up get talking about check-raising quite a bit because one of the things him and I and many others worked on was check-raising, the fundamentals of check-raising, what mathematically it's supposed to accomplish what is happening if we break it down in Flubzilla? And once you get the fundamentals, I find that gives you an excitement about the game that will carry over into other facets of the game that will bring you further. And if you can just harness the fundamentals, you can start really well, uh, really solid, 
and then you can build from there. And I think Rob did that. And then with tremendous work ethic, took it way further than uh, you multiple Sunday major wins, just fantastic results to, to have played any part in that guy's development. Uh, it makes you feel really grateful as a coach. So I was really appreciative to get that tweet. And I'm really glad we got to talk about it here. Yeah, that, I mean, that's fantastic. It doesn't get much better than that. And good luck to the guy. I mean, everybody knows, you know, Alex included, people listening to this show. If you've listened to this show for more than, you know, 10 episodes, you'll all be aware of, like, you'll play poker regularly. You'll all know how hard it is in the reality. Unless you just started playing and you've been, you know, beginner's luck, hit a few tournaments and you're like, ah, this is easy then. I don't want to shatter that illusion too early for you. But um, people that have been playing for, you know, a, a length of time will know the, the work ethic, the sweat, the tears, the dim swings, the second guessing yourself and stuff that goes into that. I mean, a million dollars profit is phenomenal. So, yeah, well done. And it's great for Alex to be part of that. And great for us to have Alex on the show and uh, someone that has been part of that Um dropping his wisdom and uh, giving us discounted products as well. And uh, you, you should know that I do fight for the corners and Alex is kindly letting us do this as well. And, you know, it's all uh, give and take. And some of the discounts for some of these products he's given in the past and the ones we're going to be talking about in the next few episodes are crazy, you know, discounts for us and um, for our listeners. And, um, yeah, people would do well to grab some of them and uh, start their own little journey. We're not guaranteeing you you'll make a million dollars profit a uh, lifetime, but you know, put put the work in and stuff, and who knows where you can go with it, with this now because the game's still there. I mean, I was my friend. It's funny how things happen, but I was speaking with a guy today who I used to talk with on a daily basis when I played poker, and it's not all we had in common, but you know, we stayed friends for years, and I actually spoke with him today about something else, and he was saying to me, "Have you played much recently?" I said, no, not really. I've not played, you know, played at all. And he was the same. And we were sort of chatting. And it's just like, it's always there. I mean, I looked, there was a local game, not local, but like in the UK, uh, Blackpool, one of the GUKPT buy-ins. And it was a thousand pound buy-in. And Blackpool's like this seaside town in uh, England, Alex, you know, if you've never heard of it. And it's got Blackpool Tower, famous sort of seaside resort, really tacky place, but fun. And um, I've always wanted to go and play that event there for some reason, just that it seems fun. So I kept an eye on the um, entries because I didn't make it last week. I couldn't get out of town um, with family stuff. And I looked at the entries and stuff on Facebook thinking, you know, a £1,000 buy-in this time of year. Poker to me doesn't seem, you know, in terms of like that it was in like mid 2000s when all these big tours were happening in the UK. And it actually got a record uh, amount of entries, you know, like just now. <laughs> so it's alive and well, just because I've not been playing much recently. It is, it's crazy the demand still for it, especially the live game as well. Well, yeah, I just got done uh, in July. I, uh, you know, I'm just in a pretty good spot right now in my life, just mentally, physically, financially, everything. You know, I obviously still have a lot of work to do, but just have been feeling really well lately. Uh, very healthy, really grateful. Uh, it's also, you know, it's easy to have this kind of view when your family is doing well and whatnot. Mm -hmm. in, in July, I just went 
Bro, it's time to play some cards. You are in a good spot. Take advantage of this right now because the one thing about life that we know is it's always changing. This time has not come to stay. This time has come to pass. You have you have to appreciate the fruit that's in season. And I just said, you know what, man? If you're feeling good, you're feeling healthy, go out there and play some cards. So I played the WCP main event. Uh, I played uh, the WPT in Atlantic City. I played the WPT in uh, Baltimore. Uh, I played the Parks main event in Philadelphia and resoundingly did not cash in a single event, but I had a lot of fun while I was out there. And the thing that people, I don't, I don't even, you know, I was making day twos and stuff, but just in day threes with the main event, I, I just couldn't cross the finish line into the, into the cash, which happens by the way, it, you cash one tournament out of five if you really know what you're doing. So obviously you can play four and just break. Uh, but Everybody's saying like poker has become so tough. Uh-uh. No. It is out there. The the thing that blows my mind, some advice I give my friends that I used to be really worried about giving this advice publicly because I thought people would be very critical of it. But finally it occurred to me one day, like Alex, if you use this when you're playing and this is the advice you give your good friends, you, you owe it to your students to say this. A lot of times I'll bet top pair with a good kicker and even like a top kicker and somebody will raise me. And if I don't think that guy really has a bluff, if I think he's like most regs that just folds his high cards, uh, calls with his pairs, raises with his two pairs of better, and there isn't really a draw out there on the board that he could be raising with, and he didn't call me from the big blind and we're not heads up, especially if he raises me multi-way and he's raising into multiple people, a lot of times I let that hand go because I can't really do that in really tough fields because, because there's a lot of bluffing, anything beyond low to mid stakes, because there's so much bluffing and whatnot, and that, that, that could get really dangerous really quickly, having that big of a full button in your game. But in these American tournaments, when I was playing the WSP main event or when I was playing in Philadelphia, these guys, there's like this implicit agreement among American players, which is like, I will raise anything I feel like raising, a 6-3 suited, ace-5 off, whatever it is. Uh, maybe not ace-5 off, but like jack-10 off suit, sure. Six five suited, whatever, whatever I feel like opening, you'll call with whatever you want, and then we'll all take it from the flop. And if you're the one guy going, no, I'm raising right now. I like my ace queen offsuit, thank you very much, and I don't think you guys should really be cold calling with your five eight suited in the low jack. Uh, I'm gonna squeeze here, and if y'all fold, I get eight nine big blinds, which is about what aces makes with no variance, I'm going to keep picking that up. And these guys would call me out of position again and again and again. Not one four bet test. Like nobody went against me. I got four bet once, I think in four tournaments, maybe twice. Excuse me. I think I did get four bet twice, but both times I'm almost positive I ran into the hand, right? Because a lot of guys just don't want to gamble in the United States. And it's just very, if you're going to play weak hands out of position passively in big pots, I would have to be the worst poker player on God's green earth to not make money with that edge, right? And P 
people just gave me that again and again. In Atlantic City, half the pots had five limpers, like half of them, six limpers, right? Uh, in uh, Baltimore, there was tons of limping. It, it was incredible. It, we were outside Baltimore. I say Baltimore because that's where I got off the bus because I'm a big baller now. I take Greyhound buses to all my WPT stops, but they're like $20 and travel rake is a real thing. But yeah, uh, it's the edges are still out there. If people are willing to... The funny thing to me is you'll see a guy... I, I three-bet two guys with like ace jack suited in Philadelphia. And uh, one guy called me with... Do I have this right? Ace eight officer, like Ray's called from early position because that's always how you're going to make a ton of money. And another guy called me with five, cold called from the hijack with five eight suited, then called the squeeze with five eight suited. And the board, I missed the board, but I ended up getting to see both hands because uh, they both made a straight at the end. And so many people get so frustrated, like, oh my God, that guy called with a 5-8 suited and then called a squeeze. It's like, to me, it's the greatest thing on earth. It's like, this game's going to be around forever. It is 2019. The Moneymaker episodes almost played 20 years ago and people are still doing this. This game is on. It is ready to go. Like, just keep hammering. If they're going to keep playing big pots out of position with you passively with crappy hands, you're going to win yourself some poker tournaments. And if, if you're playing these sort of games, I mean, Alex is what the WPTs and stuff that he's on about, I would consider them still, you know, a 3,000, 5,000 buy-in. I'd say that's mid to high stakes tournaments, you know. Um, forget all this high roller crap that people see, you know, 25,000, 100Ks. In the real world, 3 to 5K buy-in is, you know, a chunk of change. Um, and if you're playing events, like I played, you know, like 1,000 buy-ins, 1,500s, 2,000 buy-in, etc., the amount of times you sit in these and you really are playing against people who are, no disrespect to them, but they're just average, not even good card room regulars. Like, if you stereotype a player, when I'm playing against some of these people, when I go to Vegas, obviously I've never played with these people ever before. Um, it happened once in the Venetian. I played cards with a guy like twice on the trip or something. You know, it's a, it's a big player pool when you're from out of town and total randoms, but I sort of pigeonhole them into, well, he plays like such and such back home or like guy I've played with before. So I'll kind of approach him as that until he shows me something that makes me question that stereotype sort of thing. And the amount of people, like Alex said, even this summer when I was in Vegas, limp, limp. And then one, as soon as one starts or two, it's just, it's you know, it's time-honoured. I'll call, value, call, call. It comes to you in the, you know, the small blind or the button or whatever, even if people think you're doing it with nothing. So if you're doing it like for value with like ace jack suited or ace queen or something like that, if you make it big enough, like Alex says, they're not calling. They might give you a speech about, oh, I thought this was a friendly game or, you know, all that usual crap. But the amount of times that they'll just fold and you can take it is unreal, you know, and like you say, keep doing it while you keep uh, as long as you can get away with it until someone four bets you. Because I guarantee you, the time you do get four bet, the guy's got a hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, sorry, I, I thought I was going to talk over you there for a second. No, 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 no. I just I think it's funny how 
trends like that, that's the same as when I played live 10 years ago in my local card rooms. It really is. It's, it's not changed. When I, I went to Vegas for the first time in, I think it was 2010. And yeah, it was 2010. So nine years ago. And I swear, playing Bellagio Cash was exactly the same. Even a couple of tables, it was the same sort of mix of players. There was an older Asian woman. There was a guy who, you know, wasn't really paying attention, eating his food, whatever. It was like the Twilight Zone, you know, which is... It was just, <laughs> Great callback. Wow, yeah. that was amazing. Sorry, go ahead. You know, it was. It was deja vu. It was... This is the same... I'm, the Bellagio is still the same as well. They've not upgraded anything. It's still the same inside. It's still like it was nine years ago. I could have been on the same trip sort of thing, you know? And people say, like, oh, poker's tougher now. It's not the same. Nonsense. People that are saying that, have I've not played much recently, but even I know that it's alive and well, and there's money to be made there. Well, there's... Uh, one second. I almost coughed right into the mic, which I'm pretty sure none of the headphones users really wanted. Uh, but playing winning poker is not that hard in my book. It's for master small stakes cash games in one class. When I was making that, I wanted there was one episode I needed some help with because I hadn't done that much in this sphere which was I had done some short stacking, but not a ton. But I started, you know, asking through my network, who's the best short stacker, you know, and I found one gentleman who wanted to remain anonymous. He let me use his graph, but we're talking like six figures are, are damn near it. And the, the guy literally wrote down his strategy on a napkin and sent it to me. He goes, there it is. And it was pretty much he three bets. Jacks, queens, kings, and aces. He opens suited broadways, like tens plus and more. Like doesn't call any three bets. Uh, he just four bets, you know, his queens, kings, aces, ace, king. Like I'm paraphrasing a bit, but not that much. Mm -hmm. And the guy has made money hand over fist for years, short stacking, right? Because here's the thing. We all know when we show up at a cash game, especially, well, everybody's playing every pot and they can't fold. I guess I should just wait for a big hand and then I'll play it. It's pretty basic. When I was 18 and I, I didn't really, I needed the money. I was pretty damn good at that because guess what? When you need the money, you find yourself very good at folding ace jack offsuit, right? But when you don't need the money, you look down at ace jack offsuit and you go, these cards intrigue me. Uh, maybe I'm going to raise this from early position. And then somebody three bets you and you go, yeah, you know what? If I flop an ace, it's probably going to be good. And if he doesn't have an ace, he'll probably just give up. Or you don't even take it that far. You just go, I want to see the flop. If when people say like, oh, people, there's so much information out there now. Poker players can be so good the game is going to get tougher. That's also like saying, hey, there's so much information out there. Everybody's going to become a billionaire with six-pack abs. If you really think about it, that's a Derek Sivers quote, I think, which was, if information was power, we'd all be billionaires with six-pack abs. But 
there's a discipline issue when you play poker that everybody has an issue with. And if you're in the United Kingdom like Barry is, or you're in the United States like I am, and it's a first world country and a lot of people have some money, they might not want to fold their 5-8 suited, thank you very much. And they want to take that flop. And yeah, you can either... You brought up a play I absolutely love, which is when everybody's limping. I just love making it like 20x in a cash game. Because, yeah, if everybody folds and you just give me 7x, 8x, 9x, that's like what kings or aces makes on average with no variance. And then usually one guy gets pissy and then he calls you out of position and then you have this like 45x pot. And then think about it. Is that the best player at the table? The guy who limp calls 20x? Yeah. <laughs> Usually not, right? And then, so you have this 40x pot in position versus pro- one of the weaker players at the table. Again, I'd have to be one of the worst players on earth to not be able to make that edge work. And it comes with the three betting too. You just have one guy raising absolute sweet F all, and then everybody else is calling, and you squeeze, and people are just calling you out of position with garbage. Again, they're playing these big pots passively out of position, reacting to you. You get to decide how big the pot is. You get to decide how if you want. You're working with a four-card flop because they're all going to check to you. They're working with a three-card flop. Think of what that an edge that is. And if you don't need the fourth card because you're already doing pretty well, you get to jack up the size of the pot. When you're in position as the aggressor with a superior hand in a big pot, versus people who are playing passively out of position with weaker hands, it's going to be really hard for you to mess that up. So much to the point when somebody does raise me on flop, turn, and river, and I don't think they have much of a bluff, or I've never seen them bluff before, or there's not really many missed draws out there that they could be bluffing, uh, and I really don't think they can turn a pair into a bluff, I fold really big hands because if everybody's just going to keep playing with me, out of position in these big pots, it's only a matter of time before you win. Sorry, we had a little bit of a technical error during that answer, so it got a little windier than I meant it to because this is the classic one-outer podcast. But so, yeah, I, I'm very excited about this topic, as you can tell. Go ahead, Barry. Yeah, um, no, I think what happened is I joked with Alex before it, his Skype credit ran out, so. <laughs> <laughs> Confirm Busto, can't afford a Skype call. <laughs> Um, Okay, what we're going to do then, I think for the next question on this one, and what we're going to do is we're going to do this hand history, and then we're going to talk about the offer that we've got for the next two shows, and we'll take it from there. So, Because the next question I was going to run to, as we're recording another show straight after this, I want to start with that one on the next show because I think it's one that Alex is going to want to go right into. Um, it's right up his street. So let's go to this hand history, and this is from Darren. My hand and his hand are revealed at the end of this history, so I'm just going to re- read it through verbatim for Alex. It was a $60 local live MTT. Shortly after the first break, there's 104 runners with 47 entries remaining. The blinds are 200, 500, and it's a big blind ante of 500. The villain is in middle position and recently moved to our table. He covers me, effective around 30k versus his 50k. Impressions. 
typical 20-something white guy, possibly lag or online bad reg. He has a ball cap and stubble, has a stack bigger than table average, and pre-flop, he raises to exactly three big blinds, then quickly calls my three bet. So that helped <laughs> confirm my initial impressions. He open raised to 1,500 and called my button three bet to 2,700. No need for bigger because I expected to get folds behind based on what I knew about remaining players to my left. Others fold, so we see the flop heads up. The flop is 10, 9, 8, spades, two spades and one club. It's a 6K pot. The villain check called my bet of 4,100. Here is where it gets weird. He silently put out two chips, 5K and 500. When the dealer pointed out that he said he misread my bet and thought it was only 2,100, so he was trying to raise to 5,500, he seemed sincere, not an experienced live grinder looking for an angle, possibly more evidence he's an online reg. So now I thought his range included overpairs, especially jacks, as well as flush draws and straight draws, and maybe even a made straight with queen jack of spades or seven six of spades. Now pot is almost 15k. The turn was a jack of diamonds. The villain check called 6,100. He took no time to consider raising, but based on stacks, I thought he might do that with queen x, as well as worse hands, even without redraws to the flush or straight, or maybe even ace-king. The pot now is 27,000. I bet like I did on that scary board for a free showdown in position, and I was ready to fold after my bet. But he did not raise me or bet into me on the turn, so I was guessing it was not slow play. He was scared that I had queen x and made my straight. Like if he has an overpair in this position or a flush draw or even ace-king maybe, he might also be slow playing queen x to induce me to bluff the river. The river was eight of spades and the villain donk shoved to cover me. 18k into the 27k pot. I called as he dunked for less than pot on that river card and I thought some of his range was now a rivered flush and he also might have queen x where he does not want to let me check back and survive with my 18k stack. Was I too optimistic about the range he likely had on each street? I am going to flop Zilla this when I get home but I want to hear your thoughts too. Now do you want his hand and the villain's hand just now, Alex, or do you want to take it from here, and then I'll give you them? Uh, I'll take it from here. It, is the river completed the flush or no? Uh, where are we? River card was the eight of the spades. Board. So, yeah, yeah, it, it completed the flush. There was two spades uh, and paired the board. So it completed okay. the flush and paired the board, yeah. So Hero has a queen that he's not folding, and this guy, River's... I'm going to go with flush because that would make more sense with the lot. Well, actually, no, because he was trying to raise on the flop. So it's a, so he's got a full house on the river. If he, if that was genuine on the flop, uh, did, what did they have? Just out of curiosity. Well, you know, you're right. Um, so the player, uh, the hero had 10, suited, not spades, obviously. And the villain's hand was nine, two nines, two red nines, he thinks. So he had a full house, okay. yeah, nines full. Oh, so oh, they both have full houses. Okay, I mean, pretty pretty cooler. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, well, just if you believe that is genuine on the flop that the person is raising there, the average guy 
the average reg isn't really raising two pairs on that board, the 1098 board. So it, it tends to be a set, right? Unless the guy is, uh, excuse me one second. Sorry, again, didn't want to cough into the microphone, but uh, typically uh, they'll, they'll raise a straight there, they'll raise uh, a set. They won't raise two pair because it's a pretty dangerous board. And if they get action, it tends to not be that great. Uh, an over pair, you won't see get check raised that much. Combo draws, you don't even see guys raise that much. Even though if he really thought you bet 2.1K on that board, you more or less capped your range because you probably, you probably would be betting bigger with uh, a bigger hand. But given your actual sizing this board because you probably would bet a little bit bigger with uh, a, a good hand uh, like a set or something like that but if he truly did misread your bet then typically what he'd be raising if he was good he'd be bluffing a lot there but since you said he's not terrific he's probably raising just sets uh, straights a lot of guys won't raise two pair there uh, regs because if they get action they're likely not good a lot of guys won't even raise combo draws there so if he genuinely if you didn't think it was an angle and he's raising there it's mostly sets and whatnot right the reason i guessed you had a queen is just combinatoric wise there's a ton of them and people just really don't like folding them uh the flush draw because we're assuming that the person actually was authentically trying to raise on the flop. That's less likely unless it was just a really big combo draw or a made hand with a draw uh, because people don't raise combo draws or draws as much as they used to. The, the average player raises two pair better. In this case, maybe not even two pair calls with their pairs and folds high cards. So it on the turn, it's obviously a scare card. So he check calls in on the river the other thing you were betting to buy the showdown on the river, I like that versus most recreational players at low to mid stakes games. And recreational doesn't mean they don't play a ton. It, they can be playing a lot. They just, they're not playing for a living. Or uh, if they do say they're playing for a living, you know that's most likely not true. If this guy authentically plays for a living, he might not be the greatest player in the world, but he probably can pick up on the fact that you're trying to buy the showdown. So, I would expect to see a number of leads on this river. And the fact that he didn't check this river shows that's probably a little bit more likely. Do you still need to call? Well, the question you always have to ask yourself whenever you're making a big call, what is the most important thought to have there? Do you guys think it is before I say it? It's always, does he do this with X? And X is the best hand that you beat. So you have eights full there i uh, if i got that right and he had nines full so if we're calling there we have to say does he do this with a flush and it's like yeah okay he could have some uh made hands that had flush draw back doors that maybe he jams with on this river maybe you could see that uh could this just be random spew yeah, you see that a little bit more it's really difficult to make the case for folding there. I, I don't blame you for not folding there. You just see so many random things in uh, live poker. And 
you can't be 100% sure that that what happened on that flop wasn't a gambit. Uh, it's, it's a really difficult situation. I, I don't blame you for going broke there. Uh, I, I hope you took your time. It makes a lot of sense when you think about it and the fact that the check raise was more or less genuine. Yeah, yeah. And as Gus Hansen said, I'm like, it's a full house. You, of course you can't fold it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly, man. I mean, I, when I when I get top pair, I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. Screw it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, right. We're going to wrap up for this episode. So we're going to talk about the first offer that we've got. This will be over the next two shows. And it is the Poker Craftsman package that Alex does. Now, Alex, this is, if I'm reading this right, um, this is crazy because it's six of your products all in the one bundle and it's normally $480 and if you use the coupon code one outer O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R on the Gumroad store for this Poker Craftsman package it comes down to $79 for the whole thing six products are bundled in it so you're saving $401 with this coupon code um, which is crazy. So if you maybe want to just take us through what's exactly in, what the six products are in this package and why people should get this. Yes, sir. And this is, uh, it's kind of like a secret discount for those of you who are really hardcore one outer fans. Uh, I'm not even going to like put this up on the email list or Facebook page or anything like that. Uh, that's just for you guys. Barry, you hearing me all right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. We, uh, we had some classic one-outer issues with internet, so sorry, guys. I had to holler out there because I am not going to talk for five minutes to myself again. But, yeah, this one includes That's a Check Race Fool, Dissecting the Donk Bet, Master Poker with only with one hour a day, The Professional's Mindset, Why Pasegno is Right and You Flat Too Much. If you were enjoying my discussion of how to uh, three bet more effectively and win more pots in position when you're making those nice big pots in position versus their wide ranges you flat too much is my manifesto on it i went insane on that product that was uh one of my best selling products for the longest time like years after i debuted that product it was still getting picked up at full freight uh that's a check race fool it's uh something i used to yell as a joke to my friends but that's about check raising, uh, as you can guess, how to defend your blinds when people are raising them consistently, how to put the check raise screws on, uh, on the flop, even doing it with some pairs sometimes for extreme value, doing it with bluffs, uh, and how to exact more value when to bring it out on later streets. Dong betting is a similar tactic that essentially you just want to make everybody's life hell when they raise your big blind. And check raising and dong betting are two techniques that when applied effectively will really pick up a lot of pots for you and save your big blind consistently and if you're just not paying big blinds a lot of the time in tournaments you're going to go really far in tournaments because that tends to be what saps away your chips master poker with only one hour a day is an explanation of how i deliberately practice how i use filters and hold a manager to like bring up specific things that I could be doing poorly, that I could be doing uh, better, that I need to improve upon. I'll show you exactly what to look for, how to identify leaks really quickly so you're not just sitting around doing nothing when you do study. When you actually do apply an hour to your study, you can learn quite a bit. Uh, why Pasegno is right is about short stack tactics that 
I've been using for a long time. I tend to use them more live now when people are really religious about not getting involved with their short stacks, but it's a great addition. And the professional's mindset is a mental game lecture that I did with uh, my friend, John Wood. It's a just a lot of stuff about how to work more effectively, how to grind more, uh, how to get the work done when it's not easy, how to stay focused deep in tournaments, how to have that mentality that'll keep you going. And yeah, I, uh, I really like putting these all together. I think they all complement each other very well, which is why I don't mind the smaller price tag. And uh, yeah, it's about 20 hours of uh, content. It's some of my better content. So you guys definitely would enjoy it if you checked it out. And you can check out the link. There's a one hour. If you want to know what the lessons are like, uh, there's a one hour episode on the link that you can go ahead and check out. And that's absolutely free. You don't have to put your email address or anything in that. So uh, do be sure to check that out and see what's going on. And yeah, don't pay the $480 full freight just for the one outer listeners. Uh, you enter one outer at checkout. Uh, it's going to bring it down to 79, which is crazy. And before we did the, I mean, this isn't just hyperbole. This is me. I was talking to Alex saying, what are we going to do? You know, for one outer listeners for on the show, what package are you going to discount? And Alex was like, oh, we could do this one. And I didn't even notice it was six in one until I went onto the gum road and looked at it. Because we've talked about these individual packages on the show previously. But from memory or that, I'm not sure. I don't remember seeing the poker craftsman shit package. I, I don't I don't think we've talked about that on the show. And we, no, I don't think actually we ever did. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, Alex. No, I think you're right. I don't think we ever did. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Go ahead. Yeah, because I looked at it and it's 25 hours, six different products. So with this code and this offer to one outer listeners, you're getting it for $79 for everything, which is about what uh, $13 per package. And if it's 25, hour, 25 hours, so it's like $3 an hour, Alex. <laughs> That's what yeah. we're paying. I, I never thought of it like that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to get this. And oh so that, you know, that is an amazing uh, gesture by Alex. Hopefully some of you can grab that and get those six products all in one, the Poker Craftsman Package, enter one outer at checkout. And the details will all be in the show notes on the oneouter.com homepage. And if you click on the top uh, tab on the one outer uh, website, it says Alex's store. I'll also post details in there, including like a screenshot of where you put the coupon code. Uh, some people sometimes have trouble finding that, whether they're doing it on mobile or desktop. I don't know, but I'll make it nice and clear for everybody so they can all take advantage of that offer. Um, okay, Alex, we're going to wrap up there for this episode. We're going to have a short intermission and then record another one for you today. So we got another one for you to go out. Um, but this episode will be going out on 14th of November. So if you're listening to this, that offer is active and live now. Um, use the one-hour coupon code for the Poker Craftsman package and you'll get it for $79. Alex, thanks for joining us, uh, taking the time, giving us that offer. Thanks to everyone that emailed questions in. Keep them coming in. Questions at oneouter.com. Follow me on Twitter at oneouter.com. That's at O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R. D-O-T-C-O-M and keep your questions coming in either way. Alex, 
Cheers. 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 Nice and short. Okay, let's wrap up before this internet goes down again. Okay.